A special education teacher, an administrator, and a lawyer walk into a bar. And our conversations can get pretty lively. And now, you'll join us while we talk all about special education and the public school system. I'm Robin Fabiano, a special education teacher and a building-based student services administrator. And I'm joined by Abby Hanscom, a district-level student services administrator, and Angela Smagula, a founding partner at Conn and Smagula, specializing in educational law. We've been working together across multiple districts since 2009 and have lots of opinions about special education. In this podcast, we hope to share information, lessons learned, interviews of VIPs, and bring some humor to an otherwise serious topic. But before we get started, three disclaimers. One, the views shared on this podcast are our own and don't represent the views of the district in which we work. Two, Everyone might want Khan and Smagula as their attorneys, but Angela's not giving legal advice during this podcast. Three, although there are federal laws governing special education, we work in Massachusetts, a state that has extra protections, so some of what we speak about may not apply in your state. So let's get started. Hi, Angela. How are you? Hi, Robin. Happy almost start of the school year. I know. Isn't it crazy? The summer flew by. It did. I agree. Um, Before we get going, I have to say, since I've already announced that we're doing some things out of order, because we had some podcasts in the bank from over the summer, but I noticed that the podcast that is about hiring has some BTS soundage of me having word finding issues. I must have not done a complete job of editing or saved while I was mid editing. And there's um, a piece of the hiring podcast where I'm fumbling with my words. And Ah. normally I edit that out. So I sound completely polished and smart and I didn't. So the listeners are getting true authentic Robin in that podcast. Is BTS behind the scenes? It is. Yep. See, I'm like back at it. I'm like full of acronyms. I'm speaking (laughs) Spedland. I think that's okay. I like that. We're all human, right? Yes. It also must show that I'm in summer mode where I'm not so detail oriented. I mean, you not being detail oriented is like a pretty, like you're still like more detail oriented than most people. (laughs) (laughs) I'll take that. Um, And also I first podcast back got almost 700 downloads or not our first podcast, the first week of almost 700 downloads. And just thank you listeners so much. And I think that means that you must be recommending us to friends and coworkers yeah. um, because we've done zero social media promotion um, on this podcast. And so it's something we keep talking about needing to do to spread the word. And I, it's just spreading organically. It's amazing. It's similar to my law practice where we did zero marketing. <laughs> and now you're booming. Maybe it's just force of my personality. <laughs> I agree. I mean, it's got to be something. I don't know, but it, it feels really good. Yeah, it does. It feels really good. So we thought today's podcast would um, be focused on helping schools and teachers get off on the right foot. Um, and the start of the school year is invigorating and exciting, and it's also stressful and can be scary for those who are new to our profession. And we've had a lot of media focus on how hard the teaching profession is and the motivation is kind of low and teacher shortages 
we just spoke about last week. And so all of these emotions are, are happening for people. And so we thought we would give you some tips. I've been doing a lot of back to school trainings and the level of enthusiasm is really high with new teachers. I love that. Yeah. Super high, super high. So I feel like the media is distorting um, some of that stuff for like storyline, but um, I've been interfacing with a lot of really enthusiastic new teachers, um, young and old. Um, so I think it's going to be a great year. The fact that you just commented that you're doing new trainings for school systems lines with our first tip. Mm, and we've tip said this one. how many times in our podcasts? I think we'd be millionaires if we got even a penny for how many times we've said this, but no your school district's policies and procedures. A hundred percent. And we've done this with our leadership team, with teachers, and also now are starting to plan for how we're going to roll out our new policies and procedures and review of our handbooks with students. And those three stakeholders, and probably four, how you communicate your expectations and policies and procedures to parents, utmost importance. Yeah. I mean, you got to read the handbook, right? I mean, a lot of the work that I do over the summer is revising and reviewing and updating handbooks. And that's not just for like uh, make work. They need to be um, read. And it's important for teachers and administrators and parents um, and students to, to read it and understand it because a lot of it is notice. And I'm always preaching about notice and how important it is. And that's it, that's in the handbook. Yeah, I was just going to ask you to maybe go into a little bit more detail on notice. And then for those of you who also are interested in some of our um, podcasts around how the handbook is really essential to schools and student success, you should go back and listen to our discipline podcast. Yeah, I agree. I mean, um, for as far as discipline goes, of course, with the public school system, um, it's all statutory based. And so all of those pieces of information with regard to notice and due process are in the handbook. And um, in addition, all the laws that the school district has to apply, all the rights that the students and teachers have, all the rules that need to be followed, um, they're all in the they're all in the handbook. Um, and I'd also like give a shout out to the employee handbook as well. I can't tell you how many times people say, like, I know we have an employee handbook, but I, I haven't read it. And the employee handbook guides employees' rights and what the school's um, district's rights are with regard to employment. Um, so these are important documents that that you want to read and knowing the policies and procedures, not only that apply to you as an individual, but also that you need to apply, perhaps. So that's all equally important. So one of our major changes in this year's student handbook ties to our attendance policy. And I think that was um, a direct result of students that had school um, refusal last year. That was an increase in our district. And so we made some tweaks in how we report attendance, what the consequences are for multiple attendances, how that's tied to makeup work. And when we were finished sharing this with the staff during our orientation days, we asked the staff to 
generate from a student's perspective what they thought the questions would be once the students heard this new information. And it was just hilarious listening to the teachers pretending to be the students first day of school to say like, how many free blocks do I have? What do I need to get my free blocks? Can I get my free blocks back? Are you sure that counts as an absence? What's really a tardy? If I'm five minutes late, I'm 15 minutes late. Um, it was pretty funny. Yeah. And attendance is a really good example because coming out of COVID, it's been a little bit fluid. And I, I see schools sort of going back to this strict <clears throat> adherence to when you end out and whatnot. And, you know, sometimes I find those to be a little bit draconian. So I think perhaps with COVID now, they've moved a little bit to be more user-friendly. But again, the rules are what's in the handbook. And so it's important because, especially from the family perspective, when schools are telling you this has to happen and this is why it's happening, you know, you want to go to the handbook because if it's not in the handbook, then there's an argument to be made that you weren't um, otherwise aware of it. And the flip side of that, of course, is that um, if it's in the handbook and you should be aware of it, then um, you want to do so so that things aren't being implemented and you don't have an understanding about why. What would you suggest to a teacher who feels like something should be added to the handbook? Yeah, so I would go to their supervisor or their associated administrator to whatever part of the building um, or department that they're in. I know for a fact that as we go along the way during the school year, things come up and we keep a running tally of things we want to include in the handbook that aren't in there already or that have developed over the course of the year that we weren't aware of. Like, I think a good example of that is we had a decent amount of um, school threats this year in a variety of, um, of districts, both you could read about them in the news and also in some of the districts that we represent. And when we looked into some of the handbooks, there wasn't actually, uh, a bullet that said school threat. Obviously that's a violation of the handbook. And then you're sort of figuring out where that falls. Um, so we made a note in several handbooks to include that as a possible violation of the handbook and just to be you know, more clear about it. So we do that along the way and we take suggestions from teachers or ideas that they might have or tweaks that they might have. And we just sort of make a note of it. And then on the annual review, because we're doing an annual review, we will then um, make a decision about including them. You answered my second question, which was, do you ever make revisions in the middle of the year? So we make revisions in the middle of the year if there's a change in the law and uh, might make a revision in the middle of the year if we really feel like for some reason something is not clear and we're finding that we're bumping up against it. Um, a good example of that is from a couple of years ago where the disciplinary law requires, as we all remember, long-term suspension under 37H and three quarters has a statutory mandate for appeal but short-term and in-school suspension under that statute, leave it to the uh, districts to decide. And some districts in implementing the discipline law forgot to decide that. So then it was like a sort of haphazard. Sometimes we're allowing appeals, other times we're not. Are we allowing appeals? And so um, I had a situation in a district where we rolled something out in the middle of the year to be clear about it. My next tip we're moving right along would be to make sure that you're rereading all of the IEPs and especially the IEPs of your incoming, in my case, ninth graders, 
and then any new students. And I'll give an example that we've had new students who move in with IEPs. And then after digging through them, we realize that there are partial acceptances or rejections of certain services. And um, you really have to dig through that paperwork to find that information. And for me at the high school level, that dictates the student's schedule, right? Because you are creating classes or services. Um, and if a, if a IEP service is um, declined or rejected, then that impacts what their day-to-day experience is gonna be. Yeah, and I think that's such a critical point. Like you want to reread all of the IEPs that you're responsible for implementing and also the 504s. Don't forget the 504s. Um, and you want to make a plan for um, how those are going to work in perhaps in a new space, um, perhaps with new um, professionals in the room. And you want to refamiliarize yourself with those. Absolutely. And don't just assume you remember it, right? Totally. And we have um, a mechanism, like a sign-off system. So we are ensuring that the teachers have actually read the IEPs and are aware of the accommodations afforded to the students in the general education setting. And so that would be also on the list, not only as a special education person, knowing the students and the IEPs and plans, but making sure that any general education teacher who needs to be responsible for accommodations in their setting has a really strong understanding of what they need to provide for the student. Uh, 100%. And I mean, that's that's where the pitfalls lie, right? Where there's lots of different people that need to be implementing something in an inclusive setting. And it's not for lack of wanting to do it. It's just a matter of understanding that that's what has to be done. And it's super important too, also under point two, is to be prepared for subs. So that's also a trap for the unwary so that the special education teacher, the general education teacher have a plan in place for when they're out so that the subs know because the subs have to do it too. Yeah, you had a um, a meeting regarding a student um, and we were reviewing all of the accommodations and we realized that there were certain teachers the year before that implemented the accommodations in a way that above and beyond what was reasonable in terms of what the accommodation meant. And now the family and the student are hoping that that continue. And we had to say to the the teachers, you know, the, the accommodations that are on the IEP are what are agreed upon and need to be in place. If you choose to go above and beyond and do something different, then that's your choice, but that's not the standard. And just remember that then that sets other people up for not doing the expected job a way that the family might wish. And so it's really important, I think, to, to provide the accommodations that are listed and do that very consistently and very well. So you're not setting up a colleague. Agreed. So tip number three is to allow students to have a fresh start. Um, students grow and change over the course of um, a summer. Kids are always developing and they have an opportunity to enter the new year as a new person and leave their reputation behind. Um, of course, it's always important to like know historical information, but to really allow students to um, mature and change over the summer and become a new version of themselves every year um, and give them the benefit of the doubt and start building a relationship fresh. Um, so they're not holding on to image of themselves or version of themselves that is not 
benefiting them. And I'll give an example that we have a, a ninth grader coming in and teacher was sharing with me all of these historical things and really wanted to make sure people knew that the possibility of this and the possibility of that. And I said, it's important for some people on the team to know that, but it's also important for that kid to be able to come into a brand new building and a brand new team of people and be a better version of himself um, and not have to have his reputation hang over him or follow him. And I think that's really important, especially for those kids with social emotional issues and behavioral concerns. I agree. I mean, I think that that's like an important rule of thumb in general. Right. And then particularly with <clears throat> with students who can change so quickly and so enormously over over a summer. Right? Yeah. I mean, of um, course, the flip side is, is like you need to be prepared. Right. There's always that possibility if you have a student with um, behavioral concerns that that is going to happen again. And so you want to make sure that you have your staff trained and you have already thought up different ways that you're going to intervene. But again, just making sure that the people that need to know, know, and not everyone needs to know, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think that's right. And then I think you often hear like, oh, can we keep Miss So-and-so because she knows student A so well. And oftentimes we want to say like, no, you want the opportunity to have exposure to other types of people. And that's hard to start fresh every year, right? But there's a benefit to that. So you want to strike a balance there, I think. Yeah. And it's actually good probably, um, you know, to think about transitional activities. So there's a mechanism for sharing important information between teams. But again, like those who need to know, need to know, but not every person in the school needs to know. Agreed. Yeah. I was thinking about tip number four, which, you know, is something that is important to me, which is revisiting your classroom routines and expectations and making sure that you're communicating that to students and coworkers and families in a way that um, sets everyone up for success and allows you to have some boundaries and balance between work and life. Um, I agree. I mean, and so that's like personal, but important, right? Because everyone's had their summer. And now you sort of back to sort of work life and you want to make sure that you, you have that balance. Um, but it's important to understand that it's not summer anymore. Yeah. And sometimes for new teachers, things can go so fast during the school day that you might be at home working at seven, eight, nine o'clock at night. And that is normal for your first couple of years of teaching, right? You bring things home, but you also don't want to get in the habit of being available to everyone at eight o'clock at night because that's not sustainable for you, your own mental health, or the relationship between the student and the teacher, because you want the student to be able to advocate and problem solve on their own, or understand that it's okay to wait until the next day to get an answer or some help. Um, and I remember early on in my teaching career, a parent found my phone number. This is like when we, you know, we had yellow pages and you could look up someone's phone number and I had a landline and he called me. Not, nothing that you're saying is resonating. <laughs> it's called a landline. And he found my phone number and he called me. And I remember the first time I answered and it spoke to him. And then the second time he called me, I said, this is my, my home number. It's eight o'clock at night. I really am not able to talk to you. And he said, no, you're like in a, an emergency room 
doctor, like my kid is, is so needy. Like I need to have some advice and some help. And I said, well, I am not an emergency room doctor though. I'm a teacher and mm. let's make an appointment during the day to talk about how you can get some other help. Um, because I couldn't be problem solving the phone at eight o'clock at night with them. But I think sometimes if you end up doing that, you end up setting up these, these systems and permissions for people to, um, contact you or that you are um, able to be available at, at all hours. And I think we know that that quickly leads to, leads to burnout. Yeah, it leads to burnout. It leads to boundary crossing. It leads to lots of things that would read problematic to me. I mean, the advice that I like to give is that, I mean, people in education are like people pleasers, I would say, you know, 90% of them. <clears throat> so I often spend a lot of time talking to to teachers about you know, that they don't need to respond to an email during their history class, right? Or even in the next three hours, like, especially this was pre-COVID, but also in COVID is that there's a lot of blurring of lines and blurring of communication. And I'm a victim of that as well. I mean, my practice encourages that, but like, I will often send texts to people at 10 o'clock at night. And my husband's always like, stop texting people at 10 o'clock, including you stop texting <laughs> people at 10 o'clock at night. Like that's not appropriate. Like it's not a good idea. There has to be some end of the day. And so people just text because they're thinking of it and it's instantaneous and they send it, but people on the receiving end of that, it depends on who you get, feel like they need to immediately respond. So we just want to be thoughtful and careful about our work day and our boundaries with regard to students and parents. Yeah. And I think if if you're a parent that's listening, no way are we saying this because we don't want to help your child because of course that everyone is in the profession to help students, but again, I um just sets up some unhealthy expectations and um practices. Just to be clear, like my clients can, you know, reach out to me at any time, of course. Of course. <laughs> Thanks. I text you sometimes at 10 o'clock at night. You do, you do. Um, then you say, don't text me back because I'm going to bed. That is true. Because <laughs> you're up you're up later than me and I'm up earlier than you. That's facts. So That's I sometimes facts. text you at like 4.30 in the morning. You do. That's anyway, um, just going back to the routines and expectations, I think it's really important also to set the students up on the right foot. And if you are implementing new um, routines in your classroom or in your school, that you set them up as early in the year as possible and are consistent with them and practice them and revisit them and teach them over and over again so students can become really independent and know the, the expectations um, of the classroom and of the school. Agreed. Once you do that, you're setting up students for success and um, you kind of avoid pitfalls throughout the year. Um, so I think our, our last tip um, would be for new teachers to make sure that they're using their mentors and um, experienced teachers, like make sure that you're working as part of a team because teaching should not be in, an isolated activity. Um, everyone does better when you're part of a team. And so make sure that you are using people around you to share ideas, to gain information for support um, and, and for new teachers to really understand the culture and practices and procedures. So you are not making mistakes that could be avoided just by asking for some help and support. And everyone expects you to ask for help and support new teachers out there. Um, don't think that you need to know everything and do things alone. Yes. I mean, I would say that um, teaching is one of the few 
professions where mentorship is still alive and well and very, very important. And more seasoned and experienced teachers really like being mentors. And young teachers really want to seek out um, that sort of partnership. So that's a, um, a super important tip and um, one that people should not, you know, sort of shy shy away from doing. It's hard too, especially I'm finding with young teachers, new teachers, a lot of them are coming into the workplace after being remote or hybrid, bouncing around a little bit, and they're not used to as much this past year, the collaborative nature of being in the building and whatnot. So um, I would just encourage them as we move hopefully further and further away from COVID as a crisis that um, people are able to do that in the workplace. I'll tell a funny story that my first year teaching, um, my my colleague and really good friend Kim was my mentor. And um, speaking of landlines, I used to call her and her machine, she would screen me out and her machine would pick up and I would say into the machine, I know you're there. Pick up your phone. I have one question. Pick up, pick up. <laughs> she would finally pick up and say, another one, another question. But I couldn't have gone gotten through my first year without her support and answering all my questions. And so I want to encourage people to reach out. Yeah, definitely. And I would also say like teaching and school administration is such a collaborative business. You can see it when people move from place to place. Um, you know, they they move where people that they've worked with previously have gone. And they establish new relationships, new working relationships um, in that new workplace. So they're relationships that you'll have for a long, long time. So we hope that um, that these tips are helpful and um, we are also available for non-legal advice. If you want to reach out via our email, um, if you have questions or if you have um, ideas for a podcast that you're interested in. Um, and we're hoping season three is something that is both like, fun, but informative, but really best of luck on your first week of school or second week of school by the time this is out. And we hope everyone is set up for a really successful 2022-23 um, school year. Yeah. And I, I just want to say one real quick thing is that I just learned, I don't know if this is a collegiate thing, but I just learned the acronym FDOC, first day of class. Oh, so, um, you know, happy FDOC. I should have said, like, you've had a milestone. You have one child who's starting college and one child who's starting um, high school. This is amazing. Yes. In the Smagula household, we like to have all the major life transitions happen at the same time. Yeah. No stress at, at your house, right? Zero stress. Zero. <laughs> all right. Well, I hope they're off to a good start and um, we will be back soon. So thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please subscribe, share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. If you have any questions, you can reach us at astalpodcast at gmail.com.